you have your Bibles, if you'll open up to the book of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 today. We're talking about Summer on the Mount, a series about the Sermon on the Mount. Monty began the series with us last week, and I've got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. Monty talked about uh, when we're up on the mountain, on the mountaintop, the world looks different. What is ordinary to us down on the, on the ground is very different from that angle, from that vantage point. And as Monty began to explain that, I thought to myself, I grew up in Amarillo. I have no understanding of what you're talking about. And then, it re- then I was reminded, actually, in Amarillo, you can climb up to high places and see the world from a different angle, climb up on a Cadillac, look and see the world from another angle. And, uh, and so maybe I have a little bit of an understanding of what it is to be up on a mountain. Actually, when I was 19 years old, Jessica and I got to go to Scotland. We lived there as AIMS students for a while. And so we saw the world uh, from, from high places. We were able to go to these mountains and you see how gorgeous green these mountains are. I mean, it's just beautiful. And the reason they're so beautiful is because of rain. Uh, in fact, here's a photo of these mountains, typically what they normally look like in Scotland. Got the fog there. Actually, oh no, that's a picture of Jessica and I. I apologize. Uh, but the point is, the point is that these mountains, uh, they're gorgeous because there's so much rain. It's just, it's constantly raining there. There's a lot of fog. And, and so when you're walking and climbing these mountains, one of the things that you begin to notice is there's usually a lot of forest. It's very, it's very dense. And it has the feel of being outside at night, sometimes even when it's in the middle of the day. You'll be there in the, in the midst of the forest going along, and you're kind of trying to find your way through that. And it's a little bit challenging. And of course, you guys know what happens when you try to use maybe like a flashlight or a high beam in fog like this. It kind of disperses, hits the, hits the rain droplets, and it kind of shoots back at you. And so we would find ourselves going to whatever we could find. We w- would have loved to have had the sun, of course, to see, but we didn't have that. So we would take glow sticks, and we would break glow sticks, and we would walk around with just what we had, kind of to try to find our way around this mountain. And we learned with glow sticks, you can't really find yourself uh, around the mountain very well as much as you can, just kind of know where you're, where you're at. And, and so we'd have friends who would join us and we'd kind of trek through these mountains with glow sticks. And we, you know, not really any good direction, just kind of knowing where each other were at. And we just kind of walk along and, and find ourselves in the, in this thick fog. And then eventually when we got out of the thick fog, we'd get to the top of the mountain and we'd realize there was this whole other world, this world of color and beauty that we didn't even no was there because you were in the midst of this fog. It felt like it was nighttime, but you get out of that and suddenly you see this world of color around you. And this happened many times to me. I'll never forget the very first time the clouds were just draped over us and we come out of that and the clouds actually look like green grass because of the way the sun was hitting them. And it was just this beautiful green as we're looking out and see this colorful world all around us. When I think about that illustration, it makes me think maybe that's what was happening as Jesus was on the Sermon on the Mount and he was talking to the people about what it is to be a person of God, to be a a child of God, a person in the kingdom. Jesus is talking to them and he's preaching and he's saying, when it comes to meeting the standards of God, 
humans are in total darkness. When it comes to meeting the standards of God, when it comes to honoring God, when it comes to the purpose of God, the will of God, and the ways of God, people are in total darkness. And that's what I heard Monty talking about last week as he was going through the Beatitudes acknowledgement, this acknowledgement that people have been in total darkness. And, and, and here's the thing, this is true of all people regardless of position or prominence. You see this in Jesus' world as Jesus is interacting with people, different kinds of people in different places in their lives, and they're all in total darkness. I mean, you have some people who are like the Pharisees, and they're pursuing religion, but they're in darkness. And you have the, you have the tax collectors, they're, produce, uh, they're pursuing money, but they're in total darkness. And then you have the the sinful people, maybe like the the woman who's been caught in adultery, but even though she's trying to pursue something, she's in total darkness. And it may be easy for you and I to live in this world and think, well, it's not total darkness. I mean, there's a lot of good things going on in this world. But when you hear Jesus's message, he's very clear that the world is in total darkness. Think about these passages. Here's Luke chapter 1. Verses 78 through 79, Jesus is talking about, excuse me, Zechariah is talking about the coming Jesus, the coming Messiah. And here's what he says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into a way of peace. He says, before Jesus gets here, this world is total darkness, but the sun is coming. The sun is coming. And then here's Jesus talking about it in Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus unrolls the, the scroll, you guys remember he's in his hometown, he unrolls the scroll and begins to read and says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, for them a light has dawned. Jesus is saying, the world below the world below the mountain, the world that we're talking about, ordinary world, the normal life, is a life of total and complete darkness. Jesus says it's ordinary. In ordinary life, it's an inability to see. If you're living an ordinary life, you cannot see properly. I guess I'm trying to say it's normal for this world to just be grasping for something, looking for something. And what we know, we know this to be true is... We know that people in darkness will do about anything to see. People in darkness will do about anything to see. They are searching for some alternative. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I remember sitting in church and hearing people say, you know why people don't come to church? Because they're lazy. You know why people don't come to church? Because they like to sleep in on Sunday mornings or they'd rather be entertained than come to church. Guys, that's not it. That's not it. People are looking for the same thing we're looking for. They're looking for some form of light, and they're not convinced that we have it. Or they haven't found it yet. But here's the bottom line. We are all in the same mess. We're all looking for light. All of us. And sometimes we look and we find alternatives. They seem good, but they're not really light. 
In the days of Jesus, people turned to all kinds of false lights to find purpose and healing. They turned to all kinds of lights. And some of those lights weren't necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but apart from Jesus, they were wrong. So we have people like the fishermen who just turn to their job. They love their job, but they don't have Jesus, and so it's wrong, even though it's job is not a bad thing, but they're looking to that to find fulfillment, and they're never going to find fulfillment in that. They're never going to find purpose in that. They're never going to find healing in that. They're never going to find forgiveness in their job the way that Jesus can offer. There's the, the woman caught in adultery, and she's looking at, at healing and, and purpose through men. And so she's seeking some kind of relationship that will fulfill her, but it's not going to fulfill her. It's just a false light. It's a glow stick. You have others like, like Nicodemus, who it's just his capability of his mind. My mind, if I could just get my mind a certain place, if I could just be religious in a certain way. You think about Saul of Tarsus. It was his, it was his faith, but that wasn't Christ-centered, and it was wrong. You have other characters and other people in the Bible. The rich young ruler, it was his own self-righteousness. Like, just kind of get that nailed down. Or the zealots and their political fervor. Like, if we just be political, then that'll be like the answer. And that was wrong because it wasn't founded in Jesus. It contradict Jesus. So they would justify, the ends would justify the means. Hey, if we're just violent in the name of, of politics, that's good because that we're getting something accomplished. But it was contrary to the message of Jesus. And I got to tell you something, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Nothing. We're all still grasping onto these lights. And sometimes we actually are holding in our hands and we think they say Jesus and they don't. We're holding on to these glow sticks as if it is the light of the world and it's not. So we hold on to these things for our jobs. Like my job is like, like that's the answer and it's not my health. That's, no, it's not. It's not. My intelligence, my relationships, my family, my own righteousness, my political positions, as if that's Jesus, guys, and it's not. It's just a glow stick. And we're walking around in darkness and we don't realize it. I think if I were to summarize Monty's sermon last week, here's what I would say. Monty brought the sermon before us, and it was the Beatitudes, is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, what a blessing it is when you finally realize you're holding a glow stick. When you finally say, I'm holding a glow stick. I've got nothing to offer. Everything I thought I put my faith in is worthless. What a blessing it is to realize we're holding a glow stick and to acknowledge that truth. You see, a lot of people never acknowledge that truth. They can't see that what they're holding on to is not Jesus. They think it's Jesus, but it's not. And so just to acknowledge that, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, Blessed are you, you are being blessed from God when you acknowledge the fact that what you've been holding on to is not getting you there. Which brings us to today's passage, because here's what it says in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. 
A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, once again, how did we get here? We start with the Beatitudes, this acknowledgement, we're all holding glow sticks. And we realize that we're holding close. These things are not going to get us any closer to God. And there's this brokenness to us, this need for God inside of us. And God responds by saying, exactly, I can work with that. Now you are light. When finally acknowledging the brokenness, Jesus says, exactly, now you're light. You're light. Jesus will say two things here. He'll say, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. They're essentially saying the same thing. He's saying, you are here for a purpose. You are here to change the world. In this world of fog and darkness, I have come into this ordinary world with an extraordinary gift, says Jesus, to pierce the darkness with the light of the sun. To pierce the darkness with the light of the sun. Up here on the mountain, up here on the mountain, there is light, real light. Would you bring that light to the world below? Would you bring it to the world below? Now, I got to tell you, this is no small thing that Jesus is doing here. It's no small thing. If you guys remember, in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made through Him, without Him nothing was made that has been made, and He was the light of men. You guys remember this passage? The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The passage says, Jesus was God, with God, He was God, He was the Word of God, He created all things, and He became light in this world, even though people rejected Him. That passage in John 1 brings us back to a passage in Genesis 1, when God, or Jesus as we could say, spoke these words by His Word, let there be light. And there was light. In a physical world that was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep, imagine the chaos here of this formless and void world, that God spoke light and it was. Now here Jesus stands, the same creator of the universe, stands before people and he says, you are light. In a world that's formless and void, and there's darkness everywhere. You are light. And the question is this, do we believe him? Do we believe him? Now that word light is an interesting word, much like the word salt, because to be light or to be salt is not just a noun, but also a verb. To be light is a verb. When Jesus calls us light, he isn't just identifying us, he's also commissioning us. You can't have light the noun without light the verb. And if you lack light the verb, then you lack light the noun. A good illustration of that's on the page, on the screen up here. When you see here, there is one light in the center of the screen and a bunch of bulbs around it. 
when it acts as it should act as light, it is light. When it's not doing what light does, it ceases to be light. Or as Jesus would say earlier, if salt loses its saltiness, what is it? It's good for nothing. So to be light is to shine. You see, we used to walk in darkness and hold on to false light. Just like the people below the mountain. We were at the mountain, at the base of the mountain in the darkness, and we held on to this false light. But to be with Jesus is to be a light bringer. It reminds me of Moses coming off the mountain. Do you remember this story? Here's Moses coming off the mountain. He's been with God. And as he comes down, he shines light. He illuminates the people. It's kind of funny. They actually said there was a little curtain there that he would open up so he could read or whatever he needed to do, you know. Don't want to sleep near Moses at night because he's like a, you know, like, like a nightlight. But when we're around Moses, because he was in God's presence, he illuminates that is us. That's us. But you may think to yourself, well, I don't deserve to be in the presence of Jesus. I don't deserve to have a right. I don't, what are you telling me? I should be light in this world? I shouldn't be light. I'm not capable of being light. I'm not enough like Jesus to be light. And that's the irony of the passage, because remember how this began in Matthew chapter 5. It begins with an acknowledgement in the Beatitudes. And the acknowledgement is this. Start off by saying, I'm not it. Blessed are those, blessed are those who find themselves completely destitute before God, poor in spirit. When I acknowledge I have so little, God's like, yes, I can work with that. I can work with that. When I acknowledge my broken state, when I acknowledge my need for God, God says, I can work with that. Your light. I want you to know that this is God's MO. He has been doing this for a long time. There's nothing in the Sermon on the Mount that we haven't seen over and over and over again throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament. Remember the story of Moses? We think Moses was great. Moses began as a man who was a horrible leader. You remember how he was trying to lead the people of Israel? He started off and he goes and he murders an Egyptian. Y'all remember this story? Then after he murders an Egyptian, he goes to lead one of the Israelites and they kick him out. They say, we don't, we don't want you to lead us. You're not a good leader. So he runs, he flees. He spends 40 years in the wilderness working with sheep. And eventually he sees a burning bush. And at that moment, he humbles himself before God. He takes off his sandals, he covers his face before God. And as he does, God responds to him and says, you have a job. I can work with that. You're humble now. You've got a job. Or, or maybe the story of Isaiah. When Isaiah is before God and he admits his uncleanness before God. And God says, I can work with that. You have a job. Or maybe Ezekiel in his humility before the greatness of God and the vision of God. And God says, I can work with that. You have a job. Because when we finally come to him and just acknowledge, I've been using a glow stick this whole time, God's response is, I can work with that. You are light. You are light. 
I want you to know this church, in him you are light. Be light. Be light. To be light is to be the verb, to do something, to respond, to act, to behave a certain way. In Matthew chapter 5, once again, Jesus says this. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Jesus says, if you're going to be light, then you're going to have to start shining. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be the crowd that day. What is he talking about? I thank God that we have passages of Scripture that help explain it. Here's a passage of Scripture that I think helps summarize what does it mean to shine as a Christian. In Ephesians chapter 5, here's what it says. At one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found that it is good, right, and true. I just want to take this passage of Scripture and we want to ask the question, according to the Scripture, what does it say light is? And it's three things. It's good, light is good, it is right, and it is true. I want to quickly give you three ways you can be light this week. Way number one is you can be light as goodness. Light illuminates goodness. Light illuminates goodness. Have you noticed this? That when you walk outside at night, it's not as pretty as when you walk outside in the day? Or is it just me? Have you noticed this? When you step outside in, in, in the day, you see things that you would have never seen at night. Because the light illuminates goodness. The greatest goodness is the goodness of Jesus. Light illuminates goodness, and the greatest good is Jesus Christ. There is no other goodness greater than Jesus. Here's what 2 Corinthians says about it. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let, there, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. People are clinging to false light, but I want you to know this. We have the power to show them the greatest goodness, the greatest light that ever existed in the form of Jesus Christ. Today I want to challenge you as you come off the mountaintop to be the goodness of Jesus. Be the goodness of Jesus. In your world, when you have an opportunity to be the goodness of Jesus, to show the goodness of Jesus, every chance you get, be like him, show him, demonstrate him, point to him. He is the light of the world. He can't be hidden. How about we show him to the world? Let's be the light of the goodness of Jesus Christ.
Next, I want you to see this. Number two, light drives out darkness. It drives out darkness. Light is an offensive force. It doesn't cower before darkness. It drives out darkness. The greatest darkness is sin. Light drives out darkness, and the greatest darkness is sin. What is sin? It's a rejection of Jesus Christ. It's a rejection of God. It is the greatest darkness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, here's what it says. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by light becomes visible. I want you to know this. The light of God vanish, vanquishes sin. The light of God vanquishes sin. If there are parts of our life, parts of our lives where where darkness rules and reigns, I would argue that they probably have not been opened up to God. If there are closets and secret places where dark secrets are hidden inside of our hearts, we have to open them up and let God in. We have to pray to let him come in. We have to open ourselves in humility to let him get into those dark crevices and bring light. In Christ Jesus, there is no darkness at all. So what we're saying is this, be the righteousness of Jesus. Be the righteousness of Jesus. Wherever you go, can you bring righteousness? Can you bring Jesus into the world? into dark places, a university at Texas Tech or LCU or South Plains, when you're there, can you bring righteousness with you, holiness, obedience to God? When you're at work, when you're with your grandkids, can you bring righteousness? Or are you known for something else? Bring righteousness wherever you go. And finally, the last thing I want you to see, number three, is this light exposes truth. As a kid, when I was growing up, I used to be scared of the closet. I was afraid of the monster. I could see it kind of hanging out halfway. And then my parents would walk in the door and they would turn on the light and suddenly I realized it was a jacket. That's what light does. It exposes truth. It lets us see what lies exist. We've been doing a series on the angel of light, Satan. You know, light exposes truth, and the greatest lies of Satan are finally uncovered. When we go back to the series that we just did on the angel of light, I see over and over and over again, those lies are attacking the message of the gospel, attacking Jesus Christ, how we see forgiveness, how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see our sin. Satan uses these little phrases, these little tiny, you know, lies that get in our head and they challenge the very message of Jesus Christ. But when we expose the light of the gospel, what happens? The lies of Satan just vanish. Here's John chapter 8, Jesus talking about it. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light in his life. 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he goes on to talk about how Satan is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning, and Jesus tells the truth. Why don't we listen to him? What's the message? Light brings truth. It lets us see clearly what lies exist. Here's my challenge for you. Will you be the truth of Jesus this week? Will you expose the lies of Satan and be the truth of Jesus? Well, when I go back to verse five, or Matthew chapter 5 and look at the passage, here's what I hear Jesus saying. <clears throat> it's not enough just to put down the glow stick. On some level, we are going to have to take the light of the sun down the mountain. It's time to take the light of the sun down the mountain and finally shine. So here's the question I think Jesus is asking in the, in the verse. Why would we not let our light shine? Why would we not? I want to give you a challenge today. In whatever way you can, Bring the light of Jesus into this world. We sit in the presence of nearly a thousand lights. And if we will put down this thing that we are holding on to and start shining Christ, I promise you it will change the darkness around us in Lubbock, Texas and beyond. Do you believe that God has that kind of power? That's the question. Will you let your light shine? If you need anything from this body, we are here to serve you today. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing together?